following message was delivered at Bible Baptist Church in Dickinson, North Dakota. All right, let's take your Bibles, if you will. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 5. One verse, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. <clears throat> Here the Bible says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. My text is this verse and these words, Knowing the terror of the Lord. Knowing the terror of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we consider the subject this morning, and Father, Lord, on the surface, we look at these words and we wonder, oh, what terrible thing will we be talking about today? And yet, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see in these words hope and blessing. And Father, Lord, a challenge to us. Father, bless the time we spend in thy word this morning and glorify yourself in our response. I pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Again, knowing the terror of the Lord. Now here in our text, the Apostle Paul is speaking of the terror of the Lord. And this is not, this is not as we might suppose. Now when we think of terror, we think uh, probably of uh, the definition of terror being extreme fear, violent dread, fright, fear that uh, agitates the body and mind, especially at the consideration of the judgments of God. Look with me to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32, it's interesting when I, I use the Webster's 1828 dictionary, I like that dictionary in, in one respect for this reason, because often they use scripture in the definition of uh, these words. Uh, it's been said that almost every word that we find in our uh, King James Bibles is found in uh, the Webster's 1828 dictionary and defined often with scripture. Even this word terror, Deuteronomy 32, Deuteronomy 32, let's look, if you will, at verse 21, Deuteronomy 32 and verse 21, the Bible says, they have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God, they have provoked me to anger with their vanities, and I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people, I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. Now he's talking about Israel and the fact that they had moved into, at times, idolatry. It's amazing that a people that saw so much of the power and might of Almighty God on their behalf would find themselves so quickly into idolatry. All that proves is that men sometimes uh, are weaker than they imagine. And verse 22, he says, For a fire is kindled in mine anger, and uh, shall burn the lowest hell, and shall consume the earth with her increase, and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. I will heap mischief upon them, I will spend mine arrows upon them. They shall be burnt with hunger, and devoured with burning heat, and with bitter destruction. I will also send the teeth of beasts upon them, and the poison of serpents of the dust. He says here in verse 25, The sword without 
and terror within shall destroy both the young man, the virgin, the suckling also with the man of gray hairs. Now he's talking about terror, and terror is a, a terrible fear of oftentimes in the scripture uh, the judgment of God in, in Psalm 73. Look with me there, Psalm 73 this morning, and beginning in verse 18, Psalm 73 and verse 18. <clears throat> Here the Bible says, Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou, canst, ca thou castest them down into destruction. Now David earlier in the chapter, or in the psalm, is lamenting uh, his life, thinking that, you know, I've spent myself in trying to be right with God, and then I look at the world, they don't seem to care. And he said, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, and I saw their end, he said, the, the, Surely thou hast set them in slippery places, thou casteth them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors you know it's amazing sometimes uh, the fear that men have over sometimes the strangest of things there's you know it's still even today even with the vaccinations and everything else people are still some people are still living in terror of COVID-19 you know and they're afraid that somewhere along the line they may die and uh, with people that die that don't know the Lord don't know what's coming after and often we think of terror as being in the terror of the judgment of God. Look at me to Ezekiel 32. Ezekiel 32. And looking at verse 32. Ezekiel 32 and verse 32. <clears throat> Here the Bible says, For I have caused my terror in the land of the living, and he shall be laid in the midst of of the uncircumcised with them that are slain with the sword, even Pharaoh and all his multitude, saith the Lord. And folks, you know what? A, the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God, to, to act as if God has no right on our life and what have you. It ought to bring terror and often does bring terror to the hearts of men. And yet, and yet in our text, looking back to 2 Corinthians 5 this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11, that is, not, that is not the definition of terror in our text this morning. As a matter of fact, when I looked it up, I was shocked by the definition myself. You know, I looked at that word initially and thought of terror. Oh, man, God, talking about the anger of God. Yet he's not talking about the anger of God here. He says, knowing, therefore, the terror uh, the Lord, this phrase, terror of the Lord, this speaks of the awe-inspiring majesty of the great God and our Lord Jesus Christ, which leads us to love and serve Him. It is not a fear and dread of God, but rather seeing God for who He is and His greatness and His goodness toward us. Amen? Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he is trying to inspire them uh, to do something different in their life and with their life. He says, knowing therefore uh, the terror of the Lord. Let's, uh, and we want to consider some things in light of uh, what it is to, be, uh, to, to know the terror of the Lord, if you will. As we talk about this terror, the first thing we want to consider, with, as we consider God in his greatness and his goodness, we want to consider, first of all, the promise of eternal life. And folks, that's a promise that so many people in our world today do not have. 
Many who go to church today do not know if they died today, they would be with the Lord forever. Many don't. And I, I challenge you to ask somebody, maybe this week, if, you, if the conversation uh, uh, gives you an opportunity, just ask somebody, you know, do you know where you'd go if you were to die? And many are so unsure of where they're going to go. Many are uh, even in terror of death. Amen? And yet, God doesn't want His people uh, to be in fear. He's not talking about the terror, the fear and dread of falling into the hands of a God who will judge you over your sin. Folks, we, uh, we as Paul is writing to these Corinthian believers, need to know the terror, Lord, know the awe and the majesty of the great God that has promised us eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you'll back up to verse 1 of chapter 5, the context in which we find this verse is a context of a, the promise of God of eternal life. It says here in, in verse 1, For we know that if our earthly ha- house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If, be, if so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked." For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought for us the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident... I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Now he's talking about the earthly tabernacle of this body. When we die physically, where are you going to go? Where are you going to live for eternity? Here, the Apostle Paul writing to these Corinthian believers. I'm going to tell you something. The Corinthian church was a very carnal church. They were not the, 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 the upper crust of, of Christian, good Christian behavior. And yet Paul is writing to them about the terror of the Lord, but not a cringing fear, saying, listen, the judgment of God is coming. And you better get right with God. No, he's talking about the fact that we ought to be in awe of God, that God would offer to any of us eternal life. Amen. The fact is, is that when you're saved by the grace of God, you get eternal life, not probationary life. You know, when a criminal goes to jail and he fulfills part of his sentence, sometimes he's offered something called parole. And uh, they, they, they allow a prisoner to go out. And as long as he keeps his nose clean, his behavior right, he won't have to go back to jail and fulfill the, the, the entire uh, length of his sentence or what have you. You know what, folks? God doesn't offer us probationary life. He offers us eternal life. Amen? He offers us a complete pardon from our offenses. Amen. What a blessing, folks. You know, and we have something to look forward to. If we die, if this body dies, we have a tabernacle with God in heaven, a new home, a new body, a glorified body. What a blessing. Amen. Eternal. And the word eternal means without beginning or end of existence. This often refers to the Lord himself. Look at me to Deuteronomy 33. Deuteronomy 33. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 33. 
And looking at verses 26 and 27. Deuteronomy 23, verses 26 and 27. Here the Bible says, And I would scatter, I said I would scatter them into corners. <clears throat> oh, excuse me, that's 32. We want, yeah, no, we want uh, 33, 26 and 27. Okie dokie. There is none like unto the God of Jeshurun, who rideth upon the heavens in thy help, and in his excellency, as, uh, in his excellency on the sky. The eternal God is thy refuge, under the, uh, and, are under the, uh, and underneath are the everlasting arms, and he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, destroy them. You know, here we're talking about the eternal God, and folks, when God saves us by his grace, he gives us eternal life, and underneath us, underneath us is not, if you will, a safety net made of rags or, or paper or what have you, but rather underneath us, the thing that is a foundation for eternal life is the eternal God himself and the everlasting arms of God. Amen? God offers us the promise of eternal life. The word eternal is without end of existence or duration, everlasting, endless. Speaking of that which makes us immortal. Look with me to John 3. John 3. Sometimes I'm amazed when I talk to some people about salvation and about the fact that God is offering to us everlasting or eternal life, the promise of these things in John 3. And looking at verse 14, Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He talks about eternal life. He talks about everlasting. Folks, it's life without end. And is not, is not determined by you, but rather the promise and power of God. Amen? What a blessing. You know, we look at a world today that is filled with so much fear and terror and dread. And yet, uh, Paul is trying to exhort a Christian people uh, to move on, if you will, because of the promise of eternal life. If you will, look with me to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. <clears throat> and verses 24 to 27. Mark 12, verses 24 to 27. <clears throat> Here the Lord says, And Jesus answering said unto them, He's asked them a question, because they, He's talking to Sadducees who do not believe in the resurrection. And they, he posed a, they posed a hypothetical question to Him. And Jesus answering said unto them, Do ye not therefore err, because ye know not the Scripture, neither the power of God? For when they shall rise from the dead, they shall neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven." And as touching the dead, that they, that they arise, have you not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. He, but the God of the living. Uh, ye therefore do greatly err. You know, God is speaking about, uh, Christ is speaking about Abraham and Isaac who were alive at that time, because God had given to them the promise of eternal life by faith in the Christ to come, God said they're alive and well in heaven. Amen? 
They have the promise of eternal life. Even from the Old Testament to the end of the book of the Revelation, God has offered man the promise of eternal life through faith in our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And Luke 16, Luke 16. And beginning in verse 19, Luke 16, beginning in verse 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed from the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Obviously that Lazarus knew the Lord, though he had nothing, was even living the life of a beggar. Had more than the rich man had in all of his riches. And he di- and, uh, and in verse 22, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Where was Abraham in heaven? Where was uh, Lazarus now? With Abraham in heaven, or if you will, paradise until the Lord has risen from the dead? All the heaven there would be until then? He was secure. He had eternal life. And you know, he might not have had much of a life in this life, but when he died, he went and was with Abraham in heaven. Amen? What a blessing. The promise of heaven is not to rich people necessarily, but to all who will repent and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to say here, and in hell, the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And said, Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things, and likewise Lazarus the evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us who would come from thence. And he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send into my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded that one rose from the dead. Folks, this is not a parable, but an actual account. And when Lazarus died, he went to be with Abraham. And folks, both of them had eternal life, as so many of the Old Testament believers did. Amen, all of them. And yet a rich man died not because he was rich. And he died and went to hell not because he was rich, but because he made God his riches, his riches his God, and rejected our Lord Jesus Christ and the Savior and salvation through him. It's sad. So many people think sometimes, we were talking to someone recently, and they were asking the question about, well, what if someone commits suicide? Are they going to go to hell automatically? No. I know of a, a, a Christian lady, a pastor's wife, who committed, committed suicide because she had some problems. She was saved. Folks, you know what separates people from God in a place called hell? Whether you're trusting Christ or not. Now, our sin separates us, but folks, the only one that can deal with the issue of sin is our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He and he alone took that, came to take the sin of the world away from us, give us the promise of everlasting life. John 10. John 10. 
Looking, if you will, to verse 27, John 10, beginning in verse 27, the Bible says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him, and Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. And folks, Christ wasn't blaspheming. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And you know, he said, I give unto to them, my sheep, eternal life. Not probationary life. Probationary life would, deter, would be determined based on you. And folks, you know what? It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen? God gives to man eternal life through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, not in by what, anything that we do. We are kept. He says, you're in the hand. My, uh, my sheep are in, 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 it says it's in verse 28. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never, never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. The moment you trust our, our Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know what, folks? You're in the hand of God. Even as that Old Testament uh, uh, scripture talked about underneath, are the everlasting arms. Folks, the foundation, the foundation for eternal life is the power of Almighty God promised to us when we trust Christ. Amen? The promise of eternal life uh, with Christ. The promise of eternal life with Jesus Christ. Look with me to Titus 1 and 2. Titus 1 and 2. Here Titus, or Paul writing to Titus says this, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. You know what, folks? Men, any man, and all men, and any one of us in this room could lie. And do lie. But God never lies. Amen? And he has promised to us eternal life. If you will, look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You say, well, why is he talking about knowing the terror of the Lord? Why are, we, why are we considering the promise of eternal life? Because, folks, here were, <clears throat> here were people that maybe, maybe because of things going on in their own life, imagine that maybe they had lost the hope of heaven. Remember, folks, it's not about what we do, it's about what he does for us and then on top of it you know what folks maybe what was going on in their lives as christians as they tried to live for him look at second corinthians 4 and verse 8 paul writes here we are troubled on every side yet not distressed perplexed uh, uh, are perplexed but not in despair persecuted but not forsaken cast down but not destroyed always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. He's talking about persecution. And folks, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. God has predestinated that you and I will be conformed or to the likeness of Jesus Christ. And folks, it takes trial and difficulty to bring the dross out of our lives and make us like 
our Lord, he says, For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you, we having the same spirit of faith according as it is written. I believe, therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus Christ and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a, more, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Why we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You know, folks, Paul and the apostles and many Christians, even some in Corinth, had gone through and were going through persecution, were going through trial and difficulty, and maybe, maybe assuming that these trials and difficulties uh, were the judgment of God. Remember, folks, God doesn't judge us after we're saved. He judges our sin and His Son on the cross of Calvary. Amen? We trust Christ. The judgment is past. The condemnation is gone. And you know what, folks? We have the promise of eternal life, the promise of a new life, if you will, even a glorified body. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 51, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 51. <clears throat> Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all be uh, sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So in this corruptible shall it put on incorruption, and this mortal shall it put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up of victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't we sing, Faith is the victory. What victory? Victory over death and sin. A victory that will, you know what, folks? Give us a glorified body. Give us, if you will, the final home in heaven with the Lord. And he says in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, you know what, folks? These Corinthian believers, maybe were going through great trial and difficulty. The apostles were going through great trial and difficulty. Maybe even being afraid at times of what was coming, what might come. And yet even Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord, knowing not the fact that, that God is going to judge us, but rather the opposite is true. We have the promise of eternal life. Do you know what, folks? You know what makes life sometimes uh, something that can be endured, the life that we live sometimes with the trouble and difficulty? You know what, folks? I don't even have the trouble and difficulty that some of you live with every day. But you know what makes it something we can bear? Not a cringing terror from God, but rather knowing that the great and mighty God has given to us something better to look forward to. You know, what a, what a life to say to have lived through sometimes what so many of us live with and so many of you have lived with, only then to die and nothing happen. 
Nothing good to look forward to. Folks, you know, sometimes we imagine, but man, life is difficult. Life sometimes is unpleasant. Sometimes it's, a, it's, it's terrible. And some people think about committing suicide because they think, is there nothing any better than this? Let me tell you something, folks. We as Christian people have something better than this. Amen. We have the promise of eternal life. He said, knowing the terror, not the judgment of God, but the goodness of God, the fact that God has done so much for us, given us the promise of eternal life, if you will, secondly, 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> and look at verses 9 and 10. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, second thing, not only the promise of eternal life, but the prospect of the judgment seat of Christ. And it's amazing sometimes. I've read, did some research on what some commentators imagined concerning the judgment seat of Christ. And they act as if somehow God will judge his people harshly at the judgment seat of Christ for wrongdoing. The judgment seat of Christ has nothing to do with the terror and dread of the judgment of God for sin. It's past. That's past. When we see the terror of a living God and know that if we aren't saved by the grace of God and we don't get saved, we're going to die and go to hell. And in, in repentance, we turn from our sin to Christ. God's revealed to us our need. And we trust Jesus Christ. Folks, the fear and dread of judgment are gone. The judgment seat of Christ has nothing to do with judgment for our sin. It has everything to do with, if you will, the judgment for our service. God would, you know what's an amazing thing to me is that God desires to reward us. To reward us for our service. Now let me say this. You know what, sometimes I think all of us look at ourselves and say, wow, what reward am I worthy of? Amen? Because sometimes we all feel like we fall short of what we ought to do what we could have done and what we didn't do. Amen. And yet God still desires to reward us. Look with me, if you will, Ecclesiastes 12. In the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes 12. <clears throat> Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. <clears throat> and if you will, look at verses <clears throat> 13 and 14. You know, Solomon wrote the book of the, uh, the Ecclesiastes, and you know, he lived, <clears throat> though he was the wisest man who ever lived, he often lived and spent his time in vain pursuits. He had the wealth and the opportunity to try anything and everything and just about did. And when it was all said and done, he said this, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The thing, when, a, when we're living a life without any purpose, when we're living a life without any real concern for serving the Lord and, and serving others, do you know what? It's a vain and empty thing. And, and the, he says this in the latter part of this chapter in this book. Let us hear, verse 13, the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God 
That doesn't mean fear him in terror. But realize the God we serve is great. And you know what? Have some love and devotion for him. Fear God for what he's done for us, what he'll do with us, and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Now, he's not talking about judging sin, but rather our service. Amen? You know, folks, I'm so glad. You know, the condemnation is past. The Bible says there is therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? The problem is, is that when we get to the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to have to be faced with the idea of, you know what? Will there be a reward? Will there be a reward? Or will, or will we find ourselves ashamed because we'll be saved yet so as by fire? Saved by the skin of our teeth with nothing to show for the life that Christ redeemed. Look, if you will, with me to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. We begin in verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who, calleth, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And to the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway he took his journey. Then he that received five talents went and traded with the same and made, other, made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of the servants cometh and reckoneth with them. So he that received five talents, and let me stop in verse 19. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. Over what? God had given them some talent, some ability, a life, and said, listen, you take it and do something with it. You take it and you do something with it. Now, it's a parable. But he's talking about faithfulness with what God has given us. Amen. Whether it be talents or abilities, finances, whatever. Let's read on. There's a day of reckoning, a day of accounting as to whether we're going to receive any reward. And, and so he that received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou hast delivered unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five more, talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. You know, folks, when we stand before the Lord, we're going to want to have, be able to stand before him with joy. With joy. Because we've tried by the grace of God to be faithful with what God has given us to do. And let me say this. Faithfulness does not uh, assume perfection. Because none of us will live a perfect life for God. Faithfulness includes the idea that there are times when we will falter. We will stumble. And we'll need forgiveness and help to get up and go on and continue to be faithful. Faithfulness isn't speaking of doing everything perfect. But doing our best for the Lord. He says here... Verse 22, he also that received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other besides. 
besides them, his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Let me say this. It should never be a comparison between the one who had five talents and the one who had two. The important issue is being faithful with what God has given us. Amen. Let's read on. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid uh, thy talent in the earth. And lo, uh, there that uh, thou hast is thine. His Lord answered and said to him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I had not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, then at my coming I should receive mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him that, uh, from him, and give it to him that hath, which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he uh, shall have abundance. But uh, from him that hath not shall be taken away even that he hath. And then he says, and cast ye out, uh, cast ye the unpro, cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now some will say, oh, he lost his salvation. No. Here is a man who wasted his life. He wasted his life, wasted, you know, just the one opportunity to live and be faithful and didn't make it. You know what, folks? There's no reward for that. There is a reward, if you will, for those who are faithful with what God has given them to do. And, rem- and, I, and I want to say this again. Look with me to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 and 10. Paul writes, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Paul knew that what he was and what he did and what he accomplished was by the grace of God. And he knew when he stood before the Lord he'd have a reward. Romans 14 and 10. Romans 14 and 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. You know, there's a tendency sometimes among Christian people, sometimes among Christian preachers, to compare themselves with what some other preacher's doing And imagine that somehow we're better than they are. What a foolish thing to do. What a foolish thing for any Christian to look at somebody else. And it's not to say that sometimes we don't have to judge a Christian church member or what have you for sin. But you know, when it comes to service, let's be sure of this. Let's not be quick to judge someone's service for the Lord. Because we don't know their heart. We don't know everything that's going on in their life. One day they will give an account, now listen, as you and I will personally, give an account to God for our our own service or the lack thereof. If you will, look with me to 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me say this, folks. The Lord is not, does not desire us to look forward to the judgment seat of Christ and the judgment 
of our service with fear and trembling. But we need to be seriously considering that when we stand before our Lord, that our life and service may be accepted of Him. Amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 11, the Bible says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build on this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work uh, shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Do you know what, folks? The fire of God's scrutiny in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. Folks, you know, I can't imagine what it's going to be like to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ knowing what our life has been like and wondering if we'll ever have anything to show for it. Will it be burned up? Will there be a reward? Or will the life that is redeemed by the Lord be a life that was more loss than gain? More loss than gain. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, let's begin in verse 6. Paul writes, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. He's speaking of his death. He's going to lose his head at Nero, the Roman uh, Caesar's uh, throne. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Did he do it perfectly? No. But as much as he could, he gave his all and did his best, and he was ready to go home. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but all unto all them also that love is appearing. Now, you know what? Some people, some Christians, are maybe a little nervous about the second coming of Christ. Because, folks, let's, let's remember something. As Christian people, the Lord knows everything we're doing and why we're doing it. Everything. And He loves us. He cares for us. He's trying to mold and shape us into the image of God. And He wants, us to, he wants to reward us. But will there be anything to reward us for? Surely something. Surely the life we've lived will bring some reward to the glory of God. I don't know. Revelation 4. Paul wasn't saying that he was the only one that would get a crown of righteousness. He is not the only one that would get a reward. Revelation 4 and 9. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever. And cast their crowns before the throne, saying that their crowns, their rewards, if you will. Cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Now, you know, the amazing thing is, is that God is going to reward Christian people for the service they did with the help of God. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to realize, you know what? 
but for the grace of God, nothing good would have come of my life. And we'll cast what rewards and crowns we may have before the throne of the God that loved us, saved us, and helped us to serve him. Amen. <clears throat> Knowing the terror of the Lord. You know, folks, what an amazing God that he gives us the promise of eternal life. And we're looking forward to, we should look forward to, the judgment seat of Christ. If you will, the <clears throat> prospect of the judgment seat of Christ. And let me say this, do you know what? You and I don't want to stand before our Lord with nothing. With nothing. We want to stand before the Lord with as much as we can offer to him because we've spent ourselves for the Lord. Amen. And lastly, look back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men and are made manifest unto God, and I trust are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again to you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that you may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and, and uh, that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but in him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we him, uh, no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now uh, henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, but and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be a reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know, folks, as we talk about knowing the terror of the Lord, we've talked about the promise of eternal life, the prospect of the judgment seat of Christ, and lastly, the, per the persuasion to live for Christ. He says in our text in verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now what men is he referring to? He's referring to Christian people. He's writing to the church at Corinth. And you know what, folks? Writing to a people that are at times very carnal. A carnal person lives for their own desire and not for God's desire and God's will for their lives. And folks, every one of us are tempted from time to time, even day to day, to live for our own desire and not live for the honor and glory and desire and the will of God. Paul would, would desire and desires to persuade these believers persuade even us because of the terror of God, because of the greatness of our God, that we would serve and live for him. <clears throat> you know what? You can't go backward and redo anything. Ever wish you could hit the rewind button? 
hit the rewind button and say, well, you know, didn't do too hot here. Let's, we'll back up and we'll, we'll do this again. We don't get that opportunity. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. We have today and possibly the future to live for Christ. We need to be persuaded that living for him is more important than living for ourselves. He says, you know, we've escaped the judgment of God for sin. We will face the judgment seat of Christ for service. And while we wait, while we wait, what are we going to do with the life that God's given us? You know, sometimes we make all kinds of plans for life. They may not be bad plans, but where is God in all of it? Where is God in all of it? Where is his will in all of it? You know, there are some people that God would call to special service if they'd only be willing and may be trying to call some to special service, but they're not willing. You know, folks, there's something more important to live for. And you say, well, preacher, I don't want to have to live like you live. (laughs) Isn't living for God just for the preacher? No. A church is not a preacher. It's a body of people who've been saved by the grace of God, follow the Lord in scriptural baptism, and desire to live for God. Amen. This church is all of you. Not just me. And you're as called to serve God as every Christian is. To live for Christ. You know, folks, God would that we should love him, live for him, serve him. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. What's the whole duty of man? Fear God and keep my commandments. His commandments have a lot to do with daily life. And the life God's given you and I to, to live. In 1 John 5. 1 John 5. Look at verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we are the children of God, because <clears throat> children of God when <clears throat> excuse me, when Uh, We love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. You know, know, it's amazing to me sometimes when professing Christian people can't find any pleasure or any joy in obeying God. And obeying God. You know, folks, we don't do it to get to heaven. We do it because we're on the way. We want to please the God that loved us and gave himself, not so that we'll go to heaven. Amen? You know, folks, Paul is saying, listen, therefore knowing the terror of the Lord, the goodness and greatness of our God, the promise of eternal life, the, the prospect of rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. And you know what, folks? An opportunity to live a life now I live a life that's different than what we had before. Bible says in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5, 
we'll stop, we'll look back to verse 14, I should say. It says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, is a new creature, old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. The, the love of Christ constraineth us. You know what the word constraineth means? It restrains us from sin. His love for us and our love for him restrains us from sin and compels us to live for him. And never forget this, living for Christ is living for other people. He goes on to say in the chapter, in verse 18, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to, uh, to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and have committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. You know what, folks? God has given to you and I, as a member of this church, or any good, sound, scriptural church, folks, he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, you know, sometimes I forget why we're here because I get mad at what people do. You know, sometimes I've been so mad lately at the president, I could spit. Preacher, that's terrible. Yeah, it is terrible. When was the last time I thought to pray for a soul? Not too often. I felt like saying, God, get him! Go get him! Sick him! But what about his soul? What about the people that anger us? The people that make themselves our enemies? The people that mistreat us? And on and on it goes. See, folks, God's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Thank God. Now listen. Thank God someone was persuaded in our life to share with us reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Jesus, the Bible says, He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Do you know what? There's somebody, and there's somebody's that God wants to use you to reach out to. Share the gospel of Christ. You say, well, preacher, man, I have a limited circle. And you know what? If I start talking about God for these people, they're going to think I've lost it. Paul talks about earlier about though we seem to be beside ourselves. You know what he's talking about? Though we seem to be mad. Crazy. It's for your sakes. Sometimes, folks, we may be viewed by the world as being just a little touched. Touched. But you know, the world isn't going to understand it. But some of them may appreciate it when they find reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? You know, knowing the terror of the Lord, folks, we have much to live for. Eternal life, oh, there's something better waiting for us. There's a reward waiting for faithful service. And folks, we need to be persuaded that when we, when we live this life, we need to live it for God and other people. Amen? Knowing the terror of the Lord. We have much to be thankful for. We serve a great God. 
We don't have to be afraid of him. We need to love him and serve him. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about this message, or if you would like information about our church, please visit us online at bbcdickinson.com. Thank you.